This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Facing Your Giant. It comes from 1 Samuel 17. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. And you can also catch us over on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. We should be there. Search for Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel. We've been going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today we come to one of the sections that is the most probably recognized section in the whole Bible. Even people who don't go to church, people who've never darkened the door at church, know about David and Goliath. And a matter of fact, just a couple of years ago, CBS ran a series called Survivor, David versus Goliath. I can remember several times in my work when they've talked about an upcoming company, a startup company versus the company I work for, and they talked about David versus Goliath. I think about sports analogies where they talk about David versus Goliath. All those are examples of the world knowing about this story, this myth, this legend, as some would tell you, but it's not a myth. It's not a legend. It actually happened. If you go back and look in history, in the history books, you'll see that David encountered this Goliath. It was a real event. It happened around 1023 B.C. So there are real people that gathered in a real place to fight a real battle that was ultimately won by the one and true real God. You might even ask him, why do some people think this is a myth or a legend? Well, it has a great storyline, almost a storyline like a movie. It has the underdog defeating a giant against all odds. And then just like a lot of good movies, we want to interject ourselves into David. But we have to be careful that we don't focus on David. We have to understand what I told you just a minute ago, that this was God's battle. It wasn't David who defeated Goliath, but it was God that defeated Goliath. David was just an instrument that God used. So here's what I really want you to walk away knowing today, that this isn't a myth. This really happened. History tells us this happened. And David was successful, not because we're going to focus on David, but we're going to focus on that David knew his identity and his identity was in God. 
he also knew that it wasn't his battle, it's God's battle. I'll point that out as we get into the lesson. And last, where did he put his trust? He put his trust in God. Also, unlike what I normally do, there's 57 verses in this chapter. I could have probably broke this chapter up into two different sermons or two different lessons. That's what I like to call them. But I didn't. And what I'm not going to do is read you verse by verse for 57 verses. Otherwise, it'd take most of our time today. What I do want to do is I will read the verses I want to highlight to you. And I'm going to paraphrase the rest of the chapter. And so let me just give you a little background so that we're all on the same page. Now, this happens under the reign of King Saul. King Saul was Israel's first king. Israel wanted to be like all the other countries. They wanted to have their own king, and this offended Samuel. Samuel was the priest. He was the judge at the time. But God told Samuel, don't take it personally. It just shows that they no longer had their faith in me. And so Saul was to be that king. And at first he had a lot of potential. Saul did and listened to Samuel and he went to God and he waited on God. But as time went on, he no longer honored God. He no longer waited on God. Instead, he relied more and more on himself. Till after a while, he fell out of favor with God and God's spirit left him. And we saw that. And all of a sudden, a troublesome spirit came over him. And we also saw that God's spirit came upon David when he was anointed king. Now, this troublesome spirit that would come over Saul would mean that he would get depressed, that he would become paranoid, and a madness would just come over him. And to overcome this, his servant said, we need to get someone to come play music for you. And we know who that person is. And as we saw last week, that David was that person that Saul had him come and play the harp and sing psalms, and that would calm him down. That would help him overcome the troublesome spirit. So right here in chapter 17, it starts off that the Israelites are at war with the Philistines again. The Philistines were this perennial problem that they seemed to have. Every time we turn around, we're going to see how Israel fought the Philistines. And anyhow, the Philistines had this champion called Goliath. And he's over nine feet tall. He's a giant. And what you have is the Israelites on one side of the valley. You had the Philistines on the other side of the valley. And for 40 days, Goliath would come out and challenge the Israelites. And he said, send out one of your warriors to fight me. And if I win Israel, you'll be servants to us. But if your champion can beat me, we'll be your servant. I can't emphasize enough how intimidating Goliath was. It says in verse 4 that, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his leg and a javelin of bronze that slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like the weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. This is a bad dude. He's over nine feet tall. He's wearing a coat of bronze that weighs 125 pounds. That's the 5,000 shekels. And last, the spear tip that he had that he threw with his javelin weighed over 15 pounds. So because of his intimidating size, for 40 days, morning and night, he came out and he taunted the Israelites and no one would stand up to him. They all shivered. 
Now David's father sent him to the battlefront to take food to his brothers and to check on them. And as he arrives, he hears Goliath and he asks, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defiles the armies of the living God? Now his older brother hears him and he gets mad. He tells him, You left the sheep to come down here and wash the battle. Go home. David didn't listen to him though. But he asked a question again to someone else. After being told that whoever defeated him would be rewarded, would be given the king's daughter in marriage, and would be paid handsomely, he wants to take on the giant. Saul responds by telling David that he's too young. He's too small. He wouldn't stand a chance against this giant. David responds to Saul by saying that God is with him. He enabled him to kill a lion and a bear in the past while he washed his sheep. And just like those times, God will defeat this giant through me. And what does Saul do? Finally, Saul says, all right, you can go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Now, we don't know if this is a response and just desperation or if David inspired him. But either way, he agrees to let David fight that fight. In the world's eye, this giant looks insurmountable. No one would have taken a bet that David would win this fight. Vegas would have had odds on Goliath. I mean, think about it. Goliath was better trained. He was a lot bigger. And how could David beat him? I mean, he didn't even have armor or a sword with him. But I want you to understand that David had a different view than anybody else. David saw this as a spiritual battle. David knew his identity. He walked in faith and he knew it was God's battle. And because of this, David didn't fear. He knew he could beat this giant. He could beat the odds. I believe God has gotten someone here today to listen to this story so that you can understand that you can be like David if you walk in your identity and you understand that it's God's battle and you walk in your faith and you trust in him. Maybe you showed up today and you had this sickness. The doctor said that you won't be able to overcome this sickness. Maybe it's a loved one that you've lost and you can't seem to get through that. Maybe it's a sin that just seems to keep coming and raising its ugly head time and time again. Whatever it is that you're facing today, it is a giant. But I want you to understand that God is bigger than your giant. See, I understand that it's insurmountable just like Goliath was. I understand that in human eyes, it looks impossible and that you need God's help. But here's what I want to tell you what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In your weakness, in your inability to overcome this giant, God will get the glory if you'll put your trust in him. It's not about you. It's about him. The story is about him. You're just a player in the play. And God wants to use you to overcome this insurmountable giant just like he did David. The story is really not about David. It's about God and what God did through David. So with all that said, turn with me to 1 Samuel 17 verses 38 through 40. I'm going to be reading out the ESV. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's palace, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, 
with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. Let me stop right there. Every time I read verse 42, I kind of chuckle. I kind of smile. God inspired the writer of 1 Samuel to write that David was young. He was redheaded. He was handsome. Did we really need to know that for this story? Did we really need to know that information? But God thought it was important enough and inspired the writer to write it down. Now, this isn't the only place where he writes that David was good looking. We saw that just two weeks ago. Also, if you look over in the New Testament, in the book of John, you know, he never says his own name. He always talks in third person, but he says the one that Jesus loved. I don't know why, but I just find it funny. Now, let's continue. Verses 43 and 44. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So like I said, the first thing I want you to see is that David knew his identity. Now Saul didn't understand this. He responds with a human mindset. He responds the way the world responds. Remember, he is now walking in his own strength. He tries to get David to put on his armor, and it doesn't fit. So David tells him, this is God's giant. He's going to go fight this giant with God. He's going to fight it God's way. I don't need man's armor. I'll try to put it on, but I don't really need it because I'm going in the one true living God. And what I want you to understand is the enemy will always try to forget who you are in Christ and to fight on the world's term, to fight on his term. The enemy knows that through Christ, we have the strength to overcome. Psalms 29, 11 from the New Living Translation says, The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. So right here we see that David knew that the Lord would give him strength and peace to overcome this battle. And we need to go to battle just like David. Don't allow the enemy to let you forget who you are in Christ and then fight on his terms. The enemy knows that Christ has the strength to overcome. In Ephesians 6, it tells us to put on the full armor of God. We've been given that to withstand the enemy. The devil knows he can't fight us when we're on a spiritual level. So he does everything he can to get us to forget who we are in Christ and fight on the level that he controls, to fight at the world's level. Now look at Goliath's response. He feels insulted. He's going, what? Are you serious? You just sent a kid out here? Look at me. I'm a champion. You don't have what it takes to be out here against me. And again, this is another common tactic of the enemy, trying to get us to look at our giant through human eyes and see that we don't have what it takes. If we forget about our identity and start looking at this through only our physical and mental ability, then he's got us whooped. He's got us defeated. Goliath brought fear to everyone that faced him. Everyone was seeing him in the world's eyes. Even King Saul, who was head and shoulders, what the Bible tells us above everyone else, he was in his tent afraid too. He didn't stand up and say, I'm your king, I'm the leader, I'll go fight him. Nope, he was afraid like everyone else. In the world's eyes, Goliath was a bad dude. By human terms, by the human eye, he looked impossible to beat. Because of his strength and size, he talks smack. He tells David, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Now, most of us will be going, whoa, 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 oh, slow down, big boy. Take it easy. 
I can only imagine how frightful Goliath was as David stood there. And just like the Israelite army who feared Goliath and were shaken in their boots, there are Christians walking around today that are defeated because of their fear. They've forgotten or they don't understand who they are in Christ. They stare at their giant through the physical and mental ability and they respond in fear. They fear, they worry, they have anxiety. It overwhelms them. You know, it can control our decision and it can even stop us from doing what we need to do because we are paralyzed in fear. There is so much fear all around us like wars and conflicts and political divisions and persecution and violent crime and national disasters and terrorism and unemployment. And now that we have this invisible disease and it's causing death everywhere. We fear for our children and their future. We fear for our families. We fear for our future financially and our health. I could go on and on. There's a lot we could worry about and we can have fear over. But listen to what David wrote when he was older. Psalms 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Through war arise against me, yet I will be content. You know, David wrote this later in life after going through all the troubles and the trials that he went through, having to run for his life. But through all that, he understood who he was and the identity he had in God. He says, God is my salvation. Who shall I be afraid of? What should I be afraid of? In Christ, we have nothing to fear if we trust in God, if we put our trust in God. If we know our identity, then we have nothing to fear. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God told Isaiah to tell the people, do not fear for I'm with you. If we walk in fear, then we're really saying that whatever it is that we fear is bigger than God. So the question for you today, and you need to answer this, is how big is your God? Is your God smaller than whatever you fear? Is there anything bigger than your God? If there's not, then why are you afraid of it? David wasn't afraid of anyone or anything because he knew his identity and where his strength came from. He goes out and he faces this insurmountable giant without armor, without a sword, and with just five stones and a slingshot. He didn't need anything else because he had God, which was bigger than anything that he had ever faced and had always taken care of him. So here, let me sum it up. When we forget our identity and we take our eyes off God, the enemy reminds us how inadequate we are in the battle. He reminds us of our weaknesses. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and desperate in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, sometimes we don't take on that giant and we surrender to it because we have the wrong focus. We say to ourselves, I'm not wise enough. I'm not strong enough. Tim, my faith isn't strong as what you're saying. Maybe I haven't been saved long enough. I haven't got enough experience like David had. But Paul reminds us that 
It's not how wise we are. We don't put our trust in our wisdom. It's not how much money we have. We don't put our trust in money. It's not about our status. We weren't born of noble birth. It's because of God and the presence of God that he uses us just like he used David. Now, the second thing that we can hear from David today is that he knew it was God's battle. It was a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Look at verse 45 with me. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David knew his identity. But he also knew that there was more than a physical battle going on. And he didn't let Goliath intimidate him at all. He said, oh, you think you're going to feed me to the birds and to the beasts that were my flesh? But I don't think so. You come to me with a sword and a spear and your fancy armor, but I come to you with the one true God, the one living God, the God of Israel who you've insulted. I might be small. I might be puny compared to you physically. You may see a young kid with a slingshot and a stone, but I come to you in the name of the living God, and I come in the power of God and the army of Israel, and today he will hand you over to me. It will be you and your buddies that will feed the birds and the beasts, not me. See, David understood that this was a spiritual fight, so it didn't matter what things looked like physically. He knew it was God's battle. As you read this chapter, you see everyone around, King Saul, his brothers, and even Goliath told him why he shouldn't be able to win this battle. His brother told him that he was just there to watch the battle. He was too young. Go back and watch the sheep. You're, you're untrained. You've not even been in the military. King Saul told him he was a young boy. Goliath said, you come to me without a sword? What is this? But what David responded with was, what I have is God. I have a purpose. I have a mission. And God is bigger than any of the negatives that you keep trying to throw at me. David's desire was to end these insults on his God. David wanted to see God get the glory. He wanted the insults to stop against God. David served and he loved God. He wanted to bring God the glory because this wasn't just a physical battle, but a spiritual attack on all that he believed. This wasn't just about a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. This was God's battle to overcome a spiritual attack from Satan. If Satan could use Goliath to install fear and defeat the Israelites, they would lose faith in their living God. They would have to go serve something else, or so they would think. David says, this is God's battle, and I'm coming with him, and he's going to whoop you. And let me tell you today, just like David, we need to be aware of the spiritual conflict that we face. Whether it's a conflict of another person, a financial problem, a health problem, or a sin, we have to acknowledge that it's a spiritual battle, not just a physical battle. The devil would love you to believe that that conflict that you're having with another person is because that person's just a bad person. That's not completely true. We live in a fallen world and so there are bad people, but Satan rules over this world and he manipulates people to create conflicts and defeat us as Christians because we don't understand that it's a spiritual battle. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter warned us of our adversary, the devil. He's like a lion and he's going to use whatever he can to get you to act defeated. If he can rob you of your happiness, your joy, your peace, then he's won. There is a spiritual battle going on and it's not just a physical battle. Time's already running out, so let me go to my third point. The last thing that David shows us today through this chapter is where we should put our trust. Today in whom or what do you trust? 
Look with me at verses 46 and 47. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. To all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. So the first of all, I want you to notice, he says, I will strike you down and cut off your head. He doesn't even have a sword or a spear with him. How's he going to do that? See, David's trust was in the Lord. He says, today the Lord will deliver you to me. Here's what David knew. He knew the battle was the Lord. It was his battle. It was the Lord's battle. And he was just here for the ride. He knew God was with him. God plus you today is bigger than anything you face. But the question is, are you like David? Is God where you truly put your trust? David remembered God's track record, how he had proven himself over and over in his life. He remembered the way that he had saved him from the bear and from the lion. We need to be just like David. We need to remember what God has done in our lives. And you go, well, Tim, I haven't been saved with something this big before. If God's been faithful in the little things, he'll be faithful in the big thing. If you put your trust in him, he will save you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, we will not bow. And even if God doesn't save us, we still won't bow. We need to speak to our giant through God's voice and say, I will not surrender. I will not cow down. I will not be a coward. It is through God's strength. It is through God getting the glory. And that's what David says right here. His ultimate purpose was that he wanted everyone to see what God had done. David won this battle against Goliath because of God's faithfulness. David defeated Goliath because his trust was in the right place. It was in God. It wasn't in money. It wasn't in an education. It wasn't in noble birth. He didn't try to buy his way out. He didn't use politics. He didn't go wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We can get a settlement here. We can use politics to solve this. No, even though it may have seemed like it was insurmountable, and David didn't even do it in his own strength. Now, it may seem that way when we focus on David, but it really wasn't him. David understood that it was through God and that God's faithfulness that he would be able to overcome Goliath. David was very clear that this battle was the Lord and he was just an instrument to be used by God. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Satan loves to twist words. He did it in the Garden of Eden and he still does it today. He knows that we are more likely to believe half-truths than a blatant lie. When we choose to trust God and start walking in faith, Satan is going to come and whisper something in your ear. It's going to be something like, hey, you don't have what it takes. I understand that God can do this. God's bigger than this. But you aren't strong enough with the Lord. He's going to whisper in there that you don't have what it takes to be a David. You can't listen to that. That is the devil telling you just what he wants you to understand. He's going to admit that the Bible says that we can do all things but you can't because you're not strong enough with the, with the Lord. He's going to tell you that that giant's too big. You're going to have to face it alone because you don't have the right relationship with the Lord. Don't believe the lie. Paul wrote in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, God will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
So facing our giant teaches us two things. One, God is faithful. And two, where are we going to put our trust? It exposes that. So if we put our trust in God and we believe that he'll give us that victory, others around us get to see God's power and his glory. And he gets the glory just like he did here for David. But if we choose to put our trust in our own strength, then we'll just show everybody our weakness and we will fail. Today, we have to choose where we're going to put our trust. And I ask you, as yours and man are in God, let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this lesson, Lord. It's an inspiring lesson. It's a great lesson that we can learn and be inspired from. It's the story of the underdog that overcomes the insurmountable giant. It's how we inspire leadership and how we motivate people. But Lord, let us understand that this isn't about an underdog. You were never the underdog. David may have been, but it was your battle. It wasn't David's battle. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that is facing their giant today. Whatever it is, Lord, it's not bigger than you. I don't know what it is, whether it's money, financial, if it's about a marriage, if it's about a sickness, whatever it is, Lord, you are bigger than that. Lord, I pray today that they will walk in your commands, they will claim their victory, and they will walk in your strength and make sure they're giving you the glory the whole time. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you today, Lord. I pray today would be the day that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would confess that they're a sinner. Lord, they would believe in their heart that you came and you died and you overcame death for them. And it's through your blood, your perfect sacrifice, that we can walk righteously in your blood and stand before a holy God. Lord, I pray right now that they will admit their sinner, they'll come believe in your finished work, and they'll confess with their mouth that they need you and ask you to be Lord of their life. Right now, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do for this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.